scripture reading will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that I, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Good morning. If you'll leave your Bible open there to 2 Corinthians 9, we'll spend the majority of our time there, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, with uh, maybe one excursus, but uh, uh, that's not till probably the middle of the lesson. Glad to see you here this morning. If you are visiting with us, we want you to know uh, you are an honored guest. Hope it is that you'll come back and be uh, with us at any opportunity that you have, but especially that you'll stick around for a few moments after our worship service is concluded this morning that we can get a chance to get to know you. Know that there are many that are traveling uh, due to the Thanksgiving holiday, and maybe the, you fall into that category, but we're glad that you made it a point to come here and worship with us this morning at uh, Graver Road. If I can just take a personal moment for a moment and uh, say uh, how proud I am of our brother Joseph and all that he is. I hope it is that you appreciate Joseph is a five-talent man. He really is in a lot of cases, and uh, he's got talents that he's discovering in himself and understanding who he is and uh, his, his joy in serving the Lord. And Joseph uh, is, uh, of course, he's, he's freely confessing that uh, MS has got him down a little bit of cases, but I appreciate somebody who can stand there and sing, Blessed Jesus, hold my hand, and oh, for grace to trust him more, and do it as confidently as Joseph can. And you know anything about the struggles that the Luna family has gone through over the last year and last couple of years, we appreciate that family very much and love y'all very much and uh, all that you are for the Lord and all that you are in encouraging us as members here at Grave Road. Thank you guys so much. Love y'all. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we are talking about giving. The elders had asked me to preach a purpose sermon. We have our purpose Sunday coming up next week. And in doing so, uh, they said in preparation for a conversation that I'm hoping that you are going to have, either uh, in you looking inwardly and checking your finances and things, those, uh, seeing those things, but seeing what it is that uh, you're going to be committing to, to as far as uh, the coming year for uh, giving. Our elders like and have for years have uh, asked us to purpose and to look at our, um, our giving and look at the ways that we can grow, and uh, this sermon is about that. I feel sort of uncomfortable standing here and preaching a lesson like this, and I feel, I feel like somewhat like maybe Paul did as he was about to put pen to paper and talk about these Corinthians and their obligation. That's why I had Daniel read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 5. Note a couple of things that Paul says that in our vernacular, uh, 
might be applicable to us today as we talk about these things. Paul says, number one, Corinthian church, you knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. As I mentioned, the elders of Graper Road have mentioned for a number of years that this is the process by which it is that they plan the budget, and you knew that it was just a matter of time before Purpose Sunday was going to come around again if the Lord allows the earth to stand. Note also that Paul says, I know that you plan to give. It wasn't a question in his mind that these Corinthians were going to give something to these needy churches. If you end up writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to write down uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 26. Because he talks about a particular need for uh, the churches of Macedonia and Achaia to give to the needy saints of Jerusalem. It seems like this is a result of that. You knew this was coming. Paul says, I'm now asking. I want you to consider well, Corinthians, what it was that you committed to doing. And I knew that you were uh, uh, planning to give. I'm now asking. And he says a year ago when I mentioned this, you were willing to do it. You were willing to give. You were ready. You were willing. And now it is that I'm wanting you to have the right attitude with regard to this. You see, Paul literally, as an apostle, could have just laid the smack down with regard to giving. You're Christians, you have a responsibility, you have a commandment, the Lord wants you to give, and now it's time to ante up and to give in, to put your money where your mouth is, but that's not the way he attacks the subject and he approaches the subject at all. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he refers to giving as a grace. As a grace. It's something that God would refer to and want us to do because of something that he's given us through Jesus Christ. More on that in just a moment. As you look at 2 Corinthians and you see that God's word is there for our comfort, and you see that the epistle has a lot to do and a lot to say about comfort, what he's talking about in chapters 8 and chapter 9 is how it is that these Corinthian Christians can comfort a needy congregation based upon them participating in the grace of giving. And note how this chapter unfolds. If you're interested in this, as far as an outline goes, the passage that Daniel read just a moment ago is that Paul is saying, listen, your giving is going to bring blessings to other people. Your giving is going to bring a blessing to somebody else. But as he moves on in chapter uh, two, chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, he said, your giving is going to be blessing to you as an individual, to you as a family, to you as a church family. There's blessings that are going to result as a result of you participating in this grace. And then as he concludes the chapter, he says, your giving is going to bring glory ultimately to God, verses 12 through 15. We are going to hit each one of these, but we're going to do so using six words. As it is, Church of Christ, Graber Road, almost 2020, as you go home and as you begin to think about your finances and begin to think about your giving, especially with the upcoming Purpose Sunday next Sunday, Lord willing, I want you to consider these six words from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 as it is that you decide what it is that you're going to give to the Lord and to his work next year. Word number one is this word right here, the word need. The word need. God provides is our mantra. We trust God in his providence to supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. As the church in its infancy in Acts chapter 2 
verse 45. The Bible says that they sold their possessions, they divided up as anyone had need. We understand that in preaching and teaching the gospel and making sure that the word of Christ is upheld here in Rosenberg and upheld in different places, that there are needs that God is going to have to supply. There are needs that are going to have to be taken care of. The root of giving is really an understanding that there is a need that needs to be taken care of. We mentioned Romans 15 verse 26, that there was a need for saints in Jerusalem. Can you imagine those Jews? Those Jews who came out of Judaism and recognized that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, the one and only. And as it is, they came out of those things. A lot of their families had funerals for them because to deny Judaism was ultimate, uh, ultimately death in their eyes. To say, My, I have no son anymore. That son embraced Jesus. That son embraced his teaching. That son embraced Christianity. He is not a Jew anymore and my son is as good as dead. Well, where's that son going to turn whenever his livelihood was in the family business, when his livelihood was there in all those things, and now it is you have this need that's taken place. Noted how Paul talks about this a couple of t- uh, opportunities here. Look at chapter 9, verse 12. Chapter 9, verse 12, he says, The administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, What's giving fundamentally designed to do? It's designed to meet a need. But I want you to understand in word number two, word number two has to do with turning to the right source. Turning to the right source. We sing songs like, O thou founts of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. When we look at God and, and what it is that he supplied for us, and how God meets our needs. Brothers and sisters, Paul deals with God as the one who meets the needs because it is that God, well, it belongs all to him. You're still there in chapter 9. Take a look at verse 8. Look at verse 9. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. What did he say? God is able. God is able to do what? To make all grace abound towards you. How much grace? All grace. Why? Because God is the Father of lights with whom there's no shadow or turning. And and He's the one who's the giver of all good gifts. When you look at chapter 8 and verse 9, as it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. More on that in just a moment. The word source means, brothers and sisters, it all belongs to Him. The psalmist said, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. Every dollar that you earn, every dollar that I earn, honestly, is a result of God and His goodness. He's the source of it all, but brothers and sisters, He owns it all. And He wants us in our stewardship to be good stewards of Him. Your wealth comes from the source, but money is not a means to an end, or excuse me, money is not an end to itself, but it's a means to an end, and that is to bless others. We mentioned just a moment ago, Matthew 25, about the parable of the talents, about how one man was given by his master five talents, another was two two talents, another one, one talent. Who did that come from? That come from the master. And as the master came back from his trip, he wanted each one of these men to make an account based upon how they had used what they had been given, but it still belonged to the master. And the master rewarded each one according to what he had done with what he was given. What have you been given? What have I been given? 
What blessings come about from me living in the United States of America, the most prosperous nation that's ever spent time on the face of the earth? How have I used my stewardship, the finances that God has given me to his glory? There's a commendation for this based upon what you've been given for the master because, to be honest, brothers and sisters, God loves to give. God loves to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. John 3.16 God will freely give, us to, uh, give to us all things in Christ Jesus. God will freely give us the things that we need. And we know, brothers and sisters, that we can look to him as the right source. Word number three is the word trust. The word trust couple of principles that he's going to give here in this chapter. Verse 6. We know this. He who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. I imagine just for a moment a sower going out, a farmer. And as he goes out and he starts to look at that ground and starts to look at that seed that he's in, that's in his hand, he says, oh, look at how much seed I spent my money on. You know what I think I'm going to do is just take just a little bit and just scatter it here because I don't want to waste the seed. I don't want to feel like something's, uh, something's not necessarily going to come up. Instead, God says, "Here's we understand that, that that person who just sows just a little bit, they're only going to reap a little bit. But then as it is that you find others that sow bountifully, he says, those are the ones who are going to reap bountifully. But there's a delay. It's not immediate. It's not something that we can see perhaps, uh, perhaps as it happens. But note verse 8. God is able to make all grace to abound towards us. And then he mentions verse 9. In talking about this from Psalm 112. Verse 9 he says, As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He's given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Upon cursory reading, I looked at this for the very first time recently. We automatically assume verse 9 is talking about God and talking about his blessings. But this quotation is taken from Psalm 112. I want you to turn over there just for a moment and look at what this is actually talking about. Look at Psalm 112. It begins, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, literally. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants, not talking about the Lord, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3, wealth and riches will be in his house and righteousness endures forever. As this psalm moves forward, you know what? I find that it's not talking about, a, uh, talking about the Lord and about how he's blessed this man. It's talking about that man who fears the Lord and how God takes care of him. And you look at verse 9, and it's still talking about that man who fears the Lord, who uh, delights greatly in his commandments. It says he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. Brothers and sisters, there's a great blessing, a tremendous blessing in trusting in the Lord. And Paul saying, Corinthians, listen, this is you. As you put your trust in doing what it is that you purpose to do in giving, God's going to take care of you. God's not going to leave you abandoned and homeless and desolate on the streets. God's going to take care of you. 
I want you to understand, this is uncomfortable because we fall dangerously close to something that we understand is an error. That is the health and wealth gospel. And understanding that there are people that are preaching, all you have to do is just send in money and God's going to bless you abundantly. And all you have to do is just believe in Jesus and everything's going to work out in your life. That's not the case at all. But there is a challenge in Scripture that's given to us in a couple of places that we would do well as Christians to heed. For the first one, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Problem was, is the people, Malachi's day, God's people, were taking the weak and the sickly and the last. All right, we've got a good-looking crop of goats and sheep here. Let's see, which one should we offer to the Lord? Let's offer this old weak and sick one over here. Let's offer this one that's, uh, that's only got three legs. Let's, let's offer this blind one. We don't want to offer any of our good ones. And God's saying, you're going to treat me like that, really? You're going to treat me? Why don't you go take that and offer that to your governor and see if he's going to accept it? But in issuing this challenge, know what God says. He says, you bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, that which was responsible for Israel in giving to God. He says that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, that I don't open up the windows of heaven and not pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room to receive it. God says, try me. You trust me? Try me. You trust me with your finances? Give me what's mine. Give me what I've commanded you and see if there's not blessings and then some. Oh, we bakers like to bake. <laughs> we bakers like to bake. And uh, Jesus, I always think about this, Luke 6, verse 38, Jesus mentioning, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, in the context, he could be talking about a number of things. He could be talking about grace. He could be talking about forgiveness. He could be talking about mercy on somebody else. But it could be absolutely this is a standalone verse where he's talking about the way that we honor God with our possessions, the way that we give. There's a lot of areas of life that this could be referring to. But as I mentioned, we bakers like to bake. And I think about how yesterday morning as I was making breakfast, I took a scoop full of brown sugar. And I took that scoop and I scooped it up out of the brown sugar bag and I looked at it and I said, all right, this is a scoop that needs to be packed. And then I packed it down. And then imagine taking that scoop again and scooping again into the brown sugar and now you've got a heap full of brown sugar that's packed down, it's tightly together, but it's also flowing and running over. Brothers and sisters, that's the way God gives to us when we give to him what's right. Do you trust him? The challenge of Malachi still stands. Try me now in this. Give me what's right. Give, Jesus says, and it will be given unto you. The truth is, brothers and sisters, you can't outgive God. He blesses and blesses again. As we give to God what's right, we trust in Him. There is a need that we turn to the right source, and we trust that He is also going to give, in word number four, abundance. Abundance. Look back to chapter 8 and note these words in your Bible. You may star them, you may underline them, you may uh, circle them, or you may just star them on the tablet of your mind. Look at chapter 8 and verse 2. Paul, using the example of these poor Macedonians, he said, they abounded in joy 
And because they abounded in joy, they also abounded in their liberality. Look down verse 7. He mentions all these graces that the Christians there at uh, Corinth are excelling in, and the grace of speech and faith and all those things. And he says, I want you to abound in this grace also. Look down at verse 14. Here's the word abound again. Your abundance, what you have, uh, that the overflow of what you have is going to be able to supply their lack. We've already mentioned chapter 9, verse 8. Jump down there. God is able to make all grace to abound towards you, always having all sufficiency for all things, so that you may have an abundance for every good work. Look at verses 10 and 11. He will multiply the seed you have sown and increase all the fruits of your righteousness. What is that? That's abundance. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. What is that? That's God's abundance. Brothers and sisters, you really want to make 2020 exciting? You want to really make 2020 an adventure in faith? Start here. Start with your finances. Maybe start with 10% of your income. Christians I know have taken seriously the challenge of Malachi, the challenge of Jesus in Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 6. And where you start with and 10%, some have taken and they've decided that they're going to increase in that giving, increase in that growing, where it is that they're going to give 15% of their income. And where there's some that have wanted to give 20% or 25 or 30 or 40. And I know even of some Christians that give 50 to 60% of their income to the Lord. And you say, why in the world would somebody do that? Suppose they know the needs. They know the source because they trust the Lord. And you know what I find, brothers and sisters, is those people are among the happiest and the most blessed that I know. Some of them don't have a whole lot of money. It's like the widow's two mites. Jesus noting all those people that went into the temple and gave out of their abundance. Can you imagine some of these religious elites and pulling out the money out of their pockets and dropping it into the treasury and kind of looking around to see who's paying attention? And this poor widow coming in with two mites and giving those things, giving up money. And Jesus says, you see that? That woman has given all she had. And so what's the question? Did God leave her destitute? Did God leave her empty, penniless on the sidewalk? Brothers and sisters, what do we give? If you want to make 2020 an adventure of faith, don't let your giving stagnate. Don't say, well, we've given this every year for since 1980, and we're going to continue giving this, especially as it is the Lord has blessed you, and it is the cost of living has increased, and all those things that, that you know that you've gotten raises every year steadily, and you never have considered giving what's right to the Lord. He wants you to grow in giving. He loves to give. He loves for His people to give. How much do we trust God? Do we trust him to supply in abundance? Word number five. The word is blessing. There are needs for the gospel message to go forward, for Christians to be taken care of. There are needs. And in turning to the right source and turning in trust, recognizing that God is able to make abundance to come from our efforts 
to the blessings of other people. Note how he refers to this. These are all the same words. Or excuse me, they're not, uh, but it's all the same idea and same concept. Verse 11 there in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9. You are enriched in everything for our liberality, which causes, note this, thanksgiving through us to God. Look down at verse 12. You're abounding through many thanksgivings. Verse 13, those who hear and those who experience and are recipients of the grace that you've given and the gift that you've given, they are glorifying God. How do they glorify God? Word is thanksgiving. Verse 14, their prayer for you who long to you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. What are they doing? They're thanking God based upon the giving and the liberality of these saints here at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, When you drop that check in the plate every week, do you ever think that as you put that in the plate, there are Christians in a little town in Pennsylvania that pillow their heads at night and say, God, thank you so much for the church in Rosenberg that's given us so much. That there's a preacher in India several preachers in India that wake up every morning and realize they can continue doing local work and local ministry there in India. And with every convert, with every baptism, as they put those people under the water and raise them up and raised to walk in newness of Christ, that they utter a prayer of thanksgiving, God, thank you so much for the Great Road Church of Christ and all that they do. The church in the Bahamas that received that gift that we sent them several months ago based upon the, the hurricane that came, and how they're rebuilding and how they're purchasing supplies. Do you ever think that they think about us and God, say, thank you, God, for that church in Texas that sent us that money? With that, we can help rebuild our lives and help share the gospel and help open up the doors so that people can know about Jesus. A little church in Walsenburg, Colorado, is a recipient of blessings. We have a couple of folks with us this morning from Walsenburg. And they're recipients based upon us being able to have the resources to send our youth and send them to go and to encourage the children in that community and encourage the church to say, this is what New Testament Christianity looks like. Brothers and sisters, there's staff and ministers and people here who every night before they go to bed say, God, we're so grateful be able to work with such a great group of Christians. There's thanksgiving that's brought about that we may never think of whenever we drop those, those, that money into that plate. But it's not just about the grudging obligation. Well, we got to give again, 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 again. It's about the opportunity for others to give thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so it is. Our last word this morning is this word, and the word is grace. The word is grace. On your own time, go back to chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 8, and note how many times he uses this word grace. But almost every single time he uses it, it's in reference to Christians giving. There are needs that we turn to the right source. In simple trust that he is able to make abundance of blessings to occur based upon the grace of our giving. Chapter 8 and verse 24 says, our giving is proof of our love. 
Chapter 9, verse 5, he says, I don't want this to be a matter of grudging obligation, but I want this to be a matter of generosity. Verse 7, he goes back to that thought. He says, I want you to give, Christians, not grudgingly or of necessity. It's not a matter of, ah, they're always asking for money. Okay, okay. But here's a need that I see. Here's the opportunity for us to do good. I am glad to do this. God loves a cheerful giver. Practically, rubber meets the road. What does God want? What does God want? The how, we've already dealt with that a couple of times. The word is cheerfully. The word is willingly. Chapter 8 and verse 5, it says those needy saints, or excuse me, those saints there in uh, Macedonia and Achaia, they were in poverty, but they gave according to their ability. And Paul says even beyond their ability. How did they do that, Paul? He says they first gave themselves to the Lord. How much have you given yourselves to the Lord? You know what? It's reflected in how much we give to the Lord financially. The question always comes up, well, how much do I need to give? There's not a New Testament uh, a set standard, if we can say, for how much we give. However, you go back to the Old Testament and you see that there was a word used, tithe, which simply means 10%. And I've thumbed through the pages of the Old Testament. You know what I find is that God from his people never accepted less than 10%. The truth is, is that God looked at the old people of the Old Testament and said, this is your responsibility. Now I go to the book of Hebrews and I begin to look and I say, we're built, uh, we're newer Christians based upon a, a, a better covenant, based upon better promises. We have a better savior. And the question becomes, does my giving need to be less because these things are better? Or does my trust and my hope and my joy and my willingness become more based upon that? Again, I'm not going to mandate something because the New Testament doesn't mandate it. But as I look in my heart and see the greatness of the salvation that Christ has given me, the question becomes, how much can I give? Not how much do I have to give? Which part? The first fruits. It's the first fruits. How is it that God wants me to give? Giving to God is first is critical for developing the proper attitude and saying it all comes from him, it all belongs to him. As I look at the Old Testament principle and see how he uh, required his people to bring to him the first fruits, I want to give him that. I want to give him that. How often? 1 Corinthians 16 says, as you have been prospered. As God gives to us, so we also give to him. Now practical Rubber meets the road, brothers and sisters. As a family individual sits down and looks at their finances, as you begin to look at your giving over the previous year, maybe you see you're giving as sporadic. Calculate it as a percent. Realize that God wants you to honor Him with your giving, with your finances. And part of the reason why it is that we struggle so much with our finances is because we haven't done this. We haven't ordered our lives. We haven't sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with our finances first. Yes, that applies even there. But as we look at our lives and we say, here's a work, here's a need that needs to be done in the church. Give willingly. Go back to the Malachi challenge and understand that your giving is your joy and, and how it is that Malachi, God says, try me now in this. There's not too many things that God says, you can try me with this. 
But our giving is one of those things. He wants you to give grace like he does. Note how chapter 9 ends. Chapter 9 ends, thanks, that is the word grace. Grace be to God for his indescribable gift. And I look and immediately I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about the indescribable gift that, uh, that Jesus has given us and how it is that he wants us to be sacrificial like he is. But I believe, brothers and sisters, in context, he's talking about the gift, the finances, that are given to needy saints so it is that the gospel may go forward, that these people can have what they lack, what they supply. And Paul, looking at that and realizing, as Brother V.P. Black said years ago, said, I believe the Lord's people are the most generous on the face of the earth. But it is that they just need to be taught and reminded to be generous. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine what the Lord can do with the fruit of your giving? Sometimes we think too small. Sometimes we think that God's not able. Sometimes we think that we're not able. But as we understand that there are needs that need to be supplied, Joseph, come on. as there are needs that need to be supplied, as God is the source for all of those blessings, and as we trust in Him, and as we understand that he's able to make us abound, make our giving abound to many thanksgivings through this grace that we need to grow in. Brothers and sisters, have that conversation. Look at the way things are in your life. And realize, brothers and sisters, that God loves us enough to give to us. And we have the opportunity to love him enough to say this is what we're going to give to you. Thank you for your attention this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave. You can't take any of it with you. <laughs> My family and I watched the Mickey Christmas Carol last night. The kids were asking, we can put a little thing on our, uh, on our mantle that says, Bah Humbug. <laughs> and the kids say, what in the world does that mean? And said, oh, we got this uh, Disney Plus and we're going to watch uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. And you remember what the ghost of Christmas future said to Ebenezer Scrooge? As he finished him off, he said, Ebenezer Scrooge, the richest man in the cemetery. It's not why God put us here on this earth. And if that's what we think, we're badly mistaken. We need to change our priorities. But brothers and sisters, God has put us here on this earth so that we can live an abundant life of trust, not in our own uncertain riches, 1 Timothy chapter 6 but in God who has redeemed us, who has sanctified us, who has justified us, and who has given us inheritance that's, well, it's incorruptible, undefiled, not fading away the way so many things in this life do, which is reserved in heaven for you. But what God wants us to do more than anything here is learn to be a giver like he is. Have you shared the gospel with somebody? Have you given hope to somebody who badly needs to see it and badly needs to recognize it. Because God has given to us and into our hands the gospel is given. What we do with the gospel is going to be called an account on the day of judgment. Are you ready for that? Maybe there's somebody here this morning rather that needs to obey the gospel, needs to come to know Christ. 
we're going to offer that invitation. And if it is that you don't know what you need to do, but you're interested, we invite you to grab onto the coattail of somebody who looks like they belong here and say, I would like to know more about becoming a Christian. Maybe we as Christians sometimes fail and fumble around. And we struggle with different things, but we're here, brothers and sisters, in this fellowship to encourage and to strengthen and to help one another. Maybe there's somebody here that needs that help and that encouragement. We'd love to be able to provide that as we issue this invitation. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.